Hello everyone and welcome to the Banter Roundtable podcast. This is your host, Ben Cohn. And I'm Bob Seska. And I'm Justin Rosario. The Banter Roundtable podcast is brought to you by the Banter Newsletter. We rely on our generous subscribers to keep going, so please support us by signing up for a Banter membership today. You can get a 50% discount when you join the community and you'll get access to all our premium articles and locked archive. You will also be supporting independent, responsible media at a crucial time when our democracy is in peril. Your support is greatly appreciated. Hey everybody and welcome to episode 72 of the Banter Roundtable podcast. Uh, so we are joined with a very, very special guest today, Oliver Willis. Um, Oliver, can we say, can you say hello? Hello. <laughs> yeah, hello. Oliver. <clears throat> I'm here with Bob. With Bob is with us too. Justin is 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 off today, um, but we are joined with Oliver. Willis. So Oliver and I go way back, way, 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 way back to when I was running a uh, a, a sort of a network of um, political uh, blogs running the advertising on them we were kind of collaborating there when i first moved to dc uh oliver and i went and got coffee and uh tried to figure out how we were going to co- right the wrongs in the world right oliver right. back in the stone age when we were young and naive yes <laughs> exactly exactly but but oliver willis he is i would say oliver you are you pretty much the first politics blogger like, I, I, I don't know if I was the first. I like to tell people because I don't know the exact chronology. I was definitely one of the first. Like, I would say I was probably one of the first five people doing it. So, so like, I'll, I'll go with that. Like, so not to pat myself on the back so much, but, like, I definitely was in early. Like, around 2000, like, when, when people were just, like, doing this manually, I was doing, I was blogging about politics. Like, I worked at a, a mortgage company, and I and I just sort of, like, I would get home really angry and I would type out these things and like I would just send it out into the internet because I was so pissed off about George W. Bush and I had to vent and I, I need to be a nice guy in real life. And so like that's that was that's my blog origin story to like burn off the steam from George W. Bush. And write oh, yeah, the you, were, you were definitely one of the first bloggers that I read. It was like at that oh, yeah. point in time, I think the big three for me were uh, you, Atrios and Josh Marshall. And right. you may the, it may have been in that order in terms of which political bloggers first arrived on the scene in Blogosphere 1.0. So For sure. uh, yeah. I distinctly yeah, remember yeah. having that, you know, that very small list of bookmarks early on, which has now, of course, grown. Right. Yeah. Hundreds, I mean, that, but, those yeah. were all the people that were on my, you know, blog roll and people nowadays yeah. don't even know what a blog roll is. But oh, well, is. Right. But Bob, I remember having this conversation with Bob um, about when I was building up this network. It's hard to really describe what the network was, but basically it was like a collaboration where I was running the ads and we were all trying to sort of send traffic to each other. Yeah. Uh, and and but then I, Bob Bob was involved, and I remember think, being shocked that Bob would e- even respond to my email. <laughs> and you started this thing, by the way, in the middle of the Great Recession, which was right. baldy, I thought. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's always timing, right? And um, but I remember thinking, um, I remember thinking, I, you know, Oliver's never gonna. I've, I remember thinking Oliver will never, he won't take any notice of, of us. And, uh, I remember saying to Bob, I was like, Shall I reach, can you reach out to Oliver Willis? And Bob was like, Listen, man, that's like one of the top guys. Not in my league. We're not, we're not, we're not in Oliver's league yet, and, I, and I'm yeah. like, well, look, I'm going to shoot him an email. Let's see what happens. And then I, th- I think you got back to me, 
and 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 I was like, Bob, he he responded. On my end, I'm sitting in my you know my apartment in Silver Spring, basically sitting there with my little doggy watching MSNBC and being like, this man is trying to kill us all, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember doing that myself. Yeah, that was uh, that was like the national pastime there for eight years. For sure. Oh, yeah. It's like going through a war. I always told people, I said, going through the Bush administration, you know, yes, you know, we weren't firing bullets at anyone, but you, you people that were writing about it at the time online, when they talk to each other, it's almost like when you see veterans at like a VA hall talking to each other, like, oh, you remember that thing that Cheney did? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that time. I remember that. <laughs> I love it when memes from those days pop oh up God. again, like bad news or good news for John McCain. Yeah, you forgot like about Poland, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. They still seem to survive, which is great. Yeah. yeah. I mean, look, totally off topic, but I mean, are we in this? Do you think it's as bad now as it was then like or is it worse if I can't, oh, it's far worse now yeah i think it is i don't know oliver what's your thought on this i, I don't mean, want to... it's 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 a little i don't know it's a little bit of positive little bit of negative like we didn't we don't have the blogs the way that we did back then as a way to like forcefully push back against things but you have, I think, the mi- a more combative mindset with a lot of people than you did back then. Like, Bob, I'm sure you probably remember, like, it was like pulling teeth sometimes to get even activist people to get angry about things, right? Yeah. It was, yeah. it was yeah. sort of, it was like this, this, this liberal mindset a lot of the times, especially back then, was like, well, good stuff will happen, like, eventually, <laughs> you know, and, like, we don't have to push for it. And, I mean, not that there's not that out there right now, but I think people are a lot more combative. But at the same time, like, it's not as – there's it, there's a lot of waiting around on Democrats to do things. And, like, that's always a recipe for failure. And especially – it's like success is a bad thing in, in a lot of ways. Because, like, you know, the fact that Biden wins and so people are like, okay, well, Biden will take care of it now. Just, like – before daddy Obama will take care of it. And it's like, no, we still need to be assholes. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I think the bloggersphere 1.0 uh, progressive bloggers, liberal blogger bloggers had a significant influence on the approach yeah. of the democratic party. Up until that point, the democratic uh, party was very hesitant to take that fighting posture oh, and, yeah. and adopt some of uh, some, more liberal positions on things it was a very much going into the 2000s the democratic party was still very much a centrist party in a sense yeah yeah Uh, and it was it was was coming off of like the the clinton years and like you know they they had convinced themselves they they got high on their own supply Mm -hmm. and then you know bush came out and 9-11 happened in the iraq war and it was just like they just like hid in 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 a cave, right? They just yeah. hid in a cave, and we had to like drag them out, you know, kicking and screaming until basically Obama showed up. Exactly, exactly right. And so it was an amazing kind of evolution through that period of time. And I, and I still contend that it was driven largely by a list uh, bloggers like you, Oliver, and and Atreus, and all the others I, I named, and that gave us. Howard Dean in 2004 yeah, exactly. that who put a lot of those things on the table and that set the stage for Obama later on and you had Howard Dean running the DNC at that point in time the 50 state strategy all of those things emerged directly out of the blogosphere and that was 
such an important part of the movement. It, it was so necessary at that point in time to kind of shake Democrats out of this torpor that had developed this sense of, well, everything's going to be fine. I mean, see also the 90s. They were, they were right. great. That's going to just continue. And no, 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 no. We're in a new paradigm. 9-11 changed everything. The Republicans gradually became or rapidly became much more radical than they had been, which is a remarkable thing to say, given the 90s Republicans. So, uh, so much credit has to go to the liberal blogosphere of those days. Yeah. And and I think an interesting thing that came about, you know, now compared to then is that I think it was less ideological, you know, argument back then and more tactical. And nowadays I think it's more ideological than tactical. Like, I don't think, you know, I, I can only speak for myself here, but I'm not, you know, like a super progressive, you know, super lefty person. I think I'm, you know, pretty, I always say like, I'm just a boring, you know, center left kind of, you know, Democrat person, but like now, and I think it's necessary. And I, I kind of like the, you know, even when I get pushed from the left now, but I think the argument now is much more a progressive centrist kind of argument. And I, I think the progressives tend to be right on most, most of most of the issues. But I think that's the big difference between you know, the, the early 2000s blogosphere versus the Democrats and now, you know, activists versus the Democrats. It's this thing of pushing them to the left, but like a, a winning left, not not this like, you know, this version of the left that they I think a lot of the party establishment had in their minds for a long time of like the losing, you know, Vietnam era left that goes mm-hmm. you know too far afield and it becomes a Jane Fonda kind of thing. And, you know, the Republicans can pound us with Ronald Reagan. This is more like a, you know, for better or worse, you know, a Bernie Sanders AOC left that actually freaking wins elections and actually yeah. appeals to most people. It's, you know, that like, it's like, yeah. And, and you see that sometimes, I mean, it's, it's push and pull, but you see it sometimes with Biden, like Biden has, in my opinion, been a lot more progressive on a lot of things. than I thought he still sometimes has bad impulses for things. Cause you know, that that's just, he's his go-to, but mm. like, Sometimes it's been pretty refreshing to just sort of see like him talk, you know, talk shit about trickle down economics for God's sakes. Like that's nice. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't have had that like twenty years ago. That would have been unthinkable, right? You right. To, if you're a Democrat, you had you had to buy into all of that stuff. Yeah. You know? Like that. There was not. There was sort of yeah. It was like the John John Kerry. I mean, I feel like the 2004 election was John Kerry apologizing for 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 everything all the time. Right. Yeah. It was him. It was him running away from all the all the stuff. All the stuff that made him into a possibly viable candidate is the stuff that he ran away from because the consultant class told him they don't like dirty hippies. You can't be anti-war against George W. Bush, you know, popular wartime leader, Bob. That's another one. Another (laughs) right? You can't do these things. You have to thread the needle. And, you know, of course, then he got his ass kicked. And then a few years you know, later, along comes Obama. And yes, I mean, Obama is like, you know, most charismatic, you know, politician, arguably in American history. But even then, like his whole thing was like, oh, no, the war is stupid. And it was just we just needed that one person to just have yeah. that escape valve of like, and he wasn't like a super lefty, like clearly Obama's not, you know, a, a hippie, you know, liberal running around in tie dye. But the fact that like Obama was just like, yeah, no, I don't like dumb wars. And that just sort of was like a nice escape valve. And so I, I mm-hmm. think we can, you know, recapture that in, in the future. That's like, that's, to me, that's, that's, that's the spirit I'm always trying to like bring back. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. 
I don't I don't think Obama would have been able to take that position as early as 2004 uh, or even actually. No, it was what, 2002. He was speaking out against uh, invading Iraq. Uh, Now I'm I'm kind of blanking on what year. It was certainly before the invasion. Um, Yeah, it was when he was a senator, I think, a state senator. still. yeah. Yeah. So. I think the blogosphere gave him a bit of cover in order to be able to do that. Definitely. Uh, and, and that was an important factor in that entire uh, uh, statement that he made. I, I'll never forget uh, watching that video. And then that 2004 uh, convention, the Democratic National Convention with uh, John Kerry and, and mm-hmm. John Edwards. Oh, my God. Uh Barack Obama's keynote address was like a clarion call, was like a such an event, a gigantic event uh, on the left. And I think started that movement that led to 2008 that really energized the left in a significant way uh, because we had someone that was a new kind of Democrat that wasn't necessarily a boomer Democrat who came out of that. Uh, what was that? The Demo- Democratic Leadership Council? Yeah, the third way. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So important, so crucial for where we are right now as a party, which is a much more aggressive party, a party that's uh, willing to own liberalism in a sense. Uh, Obama, I-, I could talk about Obama all day, of course. Yeah, uh, well, it's one of these things where, like, I, I always say, and I, try- I compare it to, you know, Trump. I say, okay, if you look at recent elections where both parties, kind of said to the party establishment, screw it, we're just going to go with our heart. And the yeah. fact that like the Republican version of that was Donald Trump, a racist SOB, and the Democratic version of that was, you know, Barack Hussein Obama. Like, <laughs> like, the, like when, when Democrats said, Democratic voters said, hey, I'm just going to go with my gut. You know, we, yes, we like Hillary, but we're going to go with the guy who just like let, makes us swoon and it turned out like the, the the Democratic version of that was Obama and the Republican version of that was Trump. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. This is so bizarre. Um, Oliver, I was just I was going to given we were talking about John Kerry, I was going to uh talk to you about you working on this campaign, but obviously you didn't. Um so this was part <laughs> of my No, no, I I was going to introduce Oliver. This is sorry. This is a bit of um, pre-show banter. Basically, before the show, I was uh, I, for some reason I pulled up on on the uh, the interwebs that you'd work for John Kerry's campaign. So I was going to do a whole thing about oh, like you know John John Kerry's campaign. Um, well, I will say if I if I had I'll, I'll use this version of it. If I had worked on campaign, we would be talking about how he won and was reelected and. Uh... <laughs> Right, 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 right. right. Um, no, yeah, I just, we were, <laughs> one of the stories, I think, I think our listeners would appreciate this, was that I was once very badly mischaracterized on an interview I did. Uh, I was interviewed on a radio show and introduced uh, as Ben Cohen, who's a political blogger uh, and journalist, who also was a gay icon, uh, <laughs> professional rugby player in England. Um, Wait, you mean you're not? <laughs> no. Like, all this time, you guys thought I was that. That's because there, there is a there's a famous rugby player named Ben Cohen in England, and he is a a, a gay icon. And uh, they used his image, uh, a shirtless image of him, to introduce me. Well, uh, well anyway. you know, Ben, I can tell you that's that's why I responded to your email back then. Is because I thought you were that Ben Cohen. Right? <laughs> you thought I was the the the, 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 the Ben, ben and Jerry's Ben Cohen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Of, yeah. 
Yeah, ice cream man, professional rugby player. <laughs> yeah, when I saw that resume, I was like, oh, I definitely have to respond to this guy's email, right? <laughs> <laughs> but Oliver, listen, you, so you, anyway, we've now cleared it up that you didn't work on Sean Kerry's yeah, campaign, yeah. but you are, you are uh, 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 now working for the American Independent. When when I met you, you were working at Media Matters. Yeah. Um, you've now moved on to American Independent. Can you, can you tell us a li- just a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, we're just a we're you know small progressive news website. We basically follow all the major news of the day. We've got people covering you know Congress, following uh, you know issues like abortion, LGBTQ rights, women's rights. You know, I particularly I cover uh, mostly Biden related stuff and the Biden administration, which is you know that's a pretty broad you know area of coverage that I do. And you know, we sort of view our our point in the world of like we're gonna just tell you how things are we we are unabashedly a progressive outlet we're not trying to uh, you know hide that from anyone we're not you know apologizing for anyone we're we're on the side of you know women's rights and and gay rights and you know minority rights and we're gonna call out you know republicans and the conservatives when they are attacking things that we all hold dear and you know, when when someone lies, we're going to say in the story that they lied. We're not going to talk about, you know, that they misled or <laughs> they weren't yeah. you know, unclear. Or if someone is racist, we're going to say they used racist language. Like, you know, it's one of those things where it's it's not like, you know, I, I view it as like we're not super radical about it. But the fact that like we're even doing those sorts of things is a radical departure from how the mainstream media covers things. And that's why I work there. That's why I've been there for, what is it now? I've been there for seven years now. Same reason, you know, when I worked at Media Matters, it was the same sort of thing. When I worked at Media Matters, we were, you know, which is a a progressive media monitoring organization. And we said from, you know, you can go on the Media Matters website right now. It's the same mission as when I started there. We said we're progressive. We're we're tethered to the facts. Like that's that's the that's the joining thing between Media Matters and the uh, American Independent is that we're not going to lie. We're not going to make stuff up. I don't believe in that. I wouldn't work somewhere where that was part of the in the mission. You know that I always think that that's the dividing line between us and and the right. But at the same time, like we're going to be aggressive about it. We're not going to you know lean back and and be sort of scaredy cat liberals about these things. But the facts are on our side and we're going to make an argument to people about, you know, showing them with data. Like my, my editors are on me all the time and, you know, God bless them for it. Like if I make an assertion in a story, they're like, well, where's the factual data to back that up? And I, I've always told people, you know, both at TAI and Media Matters, I'm like, I don't think that this is happening at, you know, the the, the conservative versions of our organization. This Breitbart is not fact checking their stories. The Media <laughs> Research Center is not saying like, you know, is your data right about this study about what was on NBC News? They're just throwing shit against the wall. And, you know, that that's sort of so that's sort of been my role in the world for like the last what is it now? Almost 20 years of writing about these things and just being sort of, you know, a pain in the butt about it. <laughs> well, you're doing the right thing if you're pissing off Dan Bongino. I just yeah. want to say that I, <laughs> I hadn't seen that video until you posted it yesterday. T- tell oh, us about that. Tell oh, us that about was, pissing off Dan Bongino. That was great. Yeah, I say that, like, the minute that happened, I sort of saved that in my file, and I'm like, this is going on my my Hall of Fame moment. So I, I wrote a story uh, a few years ago about, uh, at the time, Bongino was a host for NRA News, which was an online streaming platform for the NRA, which is now dead. Ha, ha, ha. And he was the co-host of a show on there. 
And I, I mean, the, the exact specifics were there was a, a case involving someone who stopped a crime and the NRA kind of jumped on them for not having a gun on the scene. And I wrote the story, you know, basically about that and saying like the NRA was again pushing its gun agenda about this. And Bongino, who, if your listeners don't know, is a multiple times failed congressional candidate turned right wing <laughs> pundit. He was a former Secret Service agent, too, on top of it all, where he's actually a Secret Service agent protecting Obama, which is kind of a scary thought. And now he's sort of this unhinged right wing pundit. They kind of groomed him to be a Limbaugh replacement, but that apparently didn't work. So anyways, <laughs> I wrote this story for The Independent about, you know, the NRA news doing this. And I called out, you know, Bongino specifically. And so the next day he comes on air and he's freaking out about my story. And, you know, he called me um, Big All, applying, you know, referring to the fact that I'm overweight. And he said that I was in my mommy's basement sipping cocoa. Now, I mean, he didn't know this and I, I won't hold it completely against it, but my mom had already passed away at that time. But even if my mom had been alive, we never she she might never lived in a house with a basement to be honest but even if even if we did like yes i would be in my mommy's basement sipping cocoa like that's that's actually kind of a fun thing like i definitely would do that but and he, and he just went on and and and, and he had he has like the sort of you know almost stereotypical gym jock look to him and the yeah. fact that my little story had him like screaming at the camera with you know like his veins pulsing out of his face is <laughs> Something that, like, you know, Bob, as you said, like, I like to post it all the time because it's hilarious to me. Like, it's yeah. just this kind of thing. I, I kind of, I, sometimes I tend to have a, and you guys both know because you follow me on Twitter, I kind of have a wrestling POV on things. So I love pissing off these guys. Like, I always think that the most, the, the greatest validation of my work at, you know, and my colleagues' work at Media Matters and TAI is when we piss off these guys because that means we're actually, you know, you hit the target. Like, I remember back when I was at Media Matters, one of our, I was at, I was a part of the launch team at Media Matters back in 2004. And one of the times I realized that like, oh, we made it. We're actually doing something here is there was a debate on air between Paul Krugman and Bill O'Reilly. And Paul <laughs> Krugman used our research to back up, you know, his attacks on O'Reilly. And he was being, he was factually read from a transcript from O'Reilly's radio show. And O'Reilly yells at him like, where did you get that? Because no one else is listening to Bill O'Reilly's freaking radio show. And Krugman <laughs> goes, oh, I got it from Media Matters. And O'Reilly screams on the show, Media Matters. Why don't you just call up Fidel? Media Matters. <laughs> like, I remember I howled at our offices when that happened. And I'm telling people, let's grab this clip. Put it on our website. We have arrived. This is our moment. So yeah, whenever you piss off these guys, I love it. I, I yeah. love, I love making them angry. He's so easy to bait, and then he does this thing where he blocks you and then yeah. ridicules you behind the block. You know, yeah. because he's an alpha man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. full of bravado and courage. Yeah, and the most recent version was of that. You know, why I posted it was that. He claimed now that Stephen King was a nobody watching porn in yeah. his mommy's basement. Oh, I saw this like, one. He had no idea who Stephen King was. Yeah, and the fact, and I was like, oh, now I'm in the same class as Stephen King, one of the like most well-known writers in all of known history. I, I'm like, I'm like, me and Dan, Bun, you know, Dan Bongino puts me now, you know, by doing this in the same class as Stephen King. I'll take it. 
how do you I, how do you get to this point and not know about Stephen King? It's yeah. like Donald Trump not knowing about the village people or what that what that ridiculous dance looks like that he's doing to himself. It's like they have to know this. Why don't they know this? I mean, part of the Constitution. Yeah, they, they live in a very different world than the rest of us live in. They live in a hermetically sealed universe. Like, I, I was speaking to someone recently where, you know, you talk about, like, the world of Fox News and Republican members of Congress and the sort of just, you know, I, I've called it parcel tongue in the past, where they talk to each other in these weird sort of inscrutable ways that you can't understand unless you were like, you know, it's almost like, you know, I'm a comic book nerd myself and comic book nerds can go off on these tangents sometimes. And, you know, I'm guilty of it as, as much as anyone of like, and someone, you know, of, of getting into our, our niche and people look at you like, what are you talking about? I don't know what you're talking about. And conservatives have gotten like that in the last few years where, you know, and, and Trump is a great example of this. Trump will come up and make a speech and it's all crib notes of some weirdo stuff he saw on Fox News. And unless you're part of the Fox News, you know, my former colleague at Media Matters, Matt Gertz, called it this, the Fox News cinematic universe. Unless you're part of the Fox News cinematic universe, you have no idea when he says the laptop from hell. Uh Nobody knows what he's saying unless you're a weirdo like me that like follows them for a living. But normal yeah. people don't know what the hell they're saying. And, and so, yeah, that's why they don't know who Stephen King is. You know, long story short. Yeah, did you, the... you have to watch, sorry, but did you, Oliver, for your job, did you have to watch the Trump Town Hall? Because, Bob, you refused, right? You well, didn't I watch did. No, I watched, I watched a good chunk of it. I, you know, I, I would have watched all of it if I uh, hadn't had to do John Fugelsang's show uh, Wednesday night. So. Luck- Luckily, yeah. I avoided it this time because I, I'm I'm mostly I mean I I saw some clips of it, but I didn't follow it in real time because I'm because I'm covering Biden now. I yeah. get the luxury of ignoring a lot of this Trump stuff. Like I mean, I have to be aware of it, right? To to write cogently about it, both professionally and personally. But like you know, in 2016, I was on the Trump beat at TAI, and so or 2020, sorry. I was oh on the God. Trump beat at TAI, so I watched literally every Trump media availability and mm. rally. Like, I mean, I, I, you know, it's, I'm sure it's done like complete damage to my brain. And in ten years, like when I have mental problems, like that'll be the root cause of it. Will be what happened to me in 2020, sitting there watching Trump talk about, you know, space force and injecting bleach in his veins and you know all this other stuff. So I, I have. I, I've seen more of Donald Trump than anyone should ever see. So when I can avoid it, I can. So I, I didn't watch the full the full event. I mean, I knew it was going to be a train wreck, as we all knew. Like anyone with half a brain knew that it was yeah. going to be a train wreck. I mean, what were they? What were they thinking? I mean, okay, here's the thing, right? Okay, look, I'm going to play a couple of clips, and we're going to react. Oliver, I'm sorry to do this to you. <laughs> Go for it. But uh, we're going to have to play the clip, right? And we're going to react afterwards, okay? Um, Here we go. Former President Donald Trump. Many of them from there were having a call, were having a normal call. Nobody said, oh, gee, he shouldn't have said that. If this call was bad, I question the election. If this call was bad... I didn't ask him to find anything. Let me We've just heard the audio, Mr. President. There's bad, an audio of you asking him to find I you 11,000 votes. I said you owe me votes because the election was rigged. That election was rigged. 
And if this call was bad, why didn't him and his lawyers hang up? How dare you say that? Now, for the first time, the people that are pro-life have negotiating uh, capability because you didn't have it before. They could kill the baby in the ninth month or after the baby was born. Now they won't be able but to I do that. But I think this that. is a really important question for you to answer. And then we have one more. Answer. Can I do you mind? I would like for you to answer the question. Okay, it's very simple to answer. That's why I asked it. It's very simple to You're a nasty person, I'll tell you. <laughs> Can you answer why you, why you held on to... Mm. Sorry, guys. Sorry to ruin the vibe there, but... Uh... <laughs> same, same old Donald. You know, I... Hey, before you, you go on, I, I sort of have this overarching theory about Trump. And and it's not one of these things where, like, you know, I, I'm not one of these people that says, like, oh, he can't win again. He can't win again. Like, I think he very much can win again. Like, that's mm-hmm. – and I don't want people to be complacent at all about this. Like, I think he can win again. But I, I'm, I've been a wrestling fan since I was a little kid. And one of the things you have in wrestling is that someone has to have, like, a gimmick, right? You know, and basically that's their character that they bring to the ring. And, and that's how you get audiences interested and engaged. And Trump definitely – you know, aside from like, you can take it from the, uh, the substance away from what he was saying, which was, you know, a bunch of racist, misogynist garbage back in 2016. But he certainly had a gimmick, right? And that gimmick, you know, for whatever it's worth, worked, especially to whip up his, you know, base of voters. And so, you know, he lost in 2020, and he's come back in 2024. And those clips you just played, Ben, it's, to me, like, I mean, aside from the grossness of what he's saying, like, the part that really always keeps hitting me is that it's the same damn gimmick, and it's boring. That's about, like, I feel like that is his biggest sin. I feel like that's going to be his biggest problem going forward, even with the most fervent fans that he has out there. It's boring. It's the same. Like, you could you could swap out Caitlin Collins for what he said to Megan Kelly back in 2016. You know, you're very nasty. You're very rude. It's the same tactic, you know, the perfect phone call. Well, we heard perfect phone call back when he was impeached for the first time. Like, it's the same boring crap, Donald. Like, you know, I I mean, I hate to sort of look at it from the theater aspect sort of things. But, you know, there was a time when Hulk Hogan, when he changed his character and Hulk Hogan went from good guy Hulk Hogan to Hollywood Hogan. And Mm. I I keep saying, like, where where is our Hollywood Donald version? (laughs) version of donald trump you know where 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 is the the donald trump for 20 2024 that comes out with a new character because i gotta feel like if i'm if i'm a trump fan and i've been watching this show for the last few years like i gotta be bored as hell of what i'm seeing right now because yes i'm an idiot who follows a racist and i like racist things and that's how i vote but even then, like the racist dum dum is not really throwing me enough red meat. It's not interesting. It's just you know you compare it to yeah you want to compare it to Biden for all you want, but like at least Biden's kind of got the steady you know face character going, and as a heel, Trump is kind of like eh yeah. So I mean, sorry that's that's just my immediate takeaway from it. Freaking boring. Yeah, along those lines, I think people have been more or less done, and I'm talking about rank-and-file voters, or quote-unquote the folks, not those of us who are following this crap all day long. Uh, I think they were tired of Donald Trump in 2018. I I think that starting there, they got extra tired of Trump in 2020. Obviously, you know, going back to what you were saying earlier, uh, Oliver, about covering him in 2020 – my coverage, the, what I was exposing myself to in 2020 with Donald Trump 
took a chunk out of me, <laughs> you know, covering, <laughs> I was live tweeting all of those COVID press conferences he was doing every night. And I'm still not fully recovered from no. having done that, but people were sick of him going into that. And then 2022, the thud that the Republican party landed with when it came to those midterms, still with Trump's name, kind of on the ballot, I think that's going to continue to get worse, or at the very least, that ceiling that he's got is going to remain pretty solid. Like, he's not going to be able to get us past a certain point. Like, the people who are locked into him are locked into him. I don't think he's going to gain any votes from 2020. I just don't think it's possible. So in that regard, I think, in addition to the existence of some sort of Trump fatigue, I think it would do well for those of us who have a platform to be able to just remind people, oh, yeah, this guy, this guy's coming back. He's trying again. And remember how tired of him you were in 2020. Remember how awful that was. And we only need to coax people along those lines. We only need to drop in those little reminders. But I think in the context of the CNN town hall, the disservice that they did was presenting him as though he's this new fresh face on the scene. He's just this normal politician. Oh, who's this gingy lad who stumbled (laughs) onto the stage all of a sudden? No, 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 no. That, that was the big problem. I think there's exposing him and, and, and showing him for all of his awfulness. That's fine. But presenting him as this normal Republican candidate who deserves this very normal town hall format is just a colossal mistake. And the, the fact that they're celebrating, the Trump people are celebrating that event, uh, at least according to Jonathan Swan and some others, uh, that indicates that they really, really fumbled it. Yeah. I mean, even as, as a rating stunt, it's kind of a thud for CNN. Like it, yeah. the ratings, they're not getting that 2016 juice out of their ratings. So even if you want to look at it from a, just sort of a crass entertainment point of view, it failed that way. Like mm-hmm. it, 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 I think like this, other than helping Donald Trump, you know, boost his own personal ego and maybe giving him a little red meat for his base to say, you know, I, I tussled with the mainstream media again. Like other than that, it's kind of a face plan in multiple ways for CNN because you know, people unlike us that aren't paying close attention to media stuff that sort of still think of CNN as like, you know, for better or worse, people tend to think of CNN as the, the straight news network compared to, you know, the, the sort of progressive voices they have on MSNBC and then sort of the, you know, the extreme right that's on Fox. But this makes CNN look bad. Like CNN is like the place for news when you're hosting the retread boring guy that, you know, lied us into COVID is a bad look for CNN. Then the fact that like they didn't even get like an appreciable, you know, super bump in their ratings. So that looks bad. They didn't hold his feet to the fire. So liberals, on the other hand, are looking at it and saying, you patted him on the back with, you know, former Daily Caller writer turned CNN uh, reporter Caitlin Collins as the moderator. So that's bad. And so, and, and this overall rebrand that CNN has been, you know, attempting under their new leader, uh, Chris Lick, where they're kind of going for, I've been saying it, you know, it's Fox light. They're going for Fox light. Well, that's all. I mean, that's a flawed strategy to begin with. It's not working, but it's a flawed strategy because if you're a conservative out there, you know, it's like asking someone that, you know, do you want, do you want a Coca-Cola or do you want the, 
the diet store brand knockoff version of Coke. Well, everyone's mm-hmm. going to say, no, give me a Coke, right? <laughs> and so you're, you're conservative out there that wants their fix of right wing red meat. Are you going to, are they going to turn on CNN? That's not going to happen in a million years. Right? <laughs> like, yeah. Gonna, oh yeah. They're going to watch Fox. They're going to watch Newsmax. They're going to watch OAN. They're not going to watch freaking CNN. So pandering <laughs> to that audience is a failure. So it's just fail, fail, fail. And CNN seems really addicted to this new strategy you know, it's not going to work out for them. Like, I, I've, I've covered the media industry long enough to know this isn't going to work. Like, choose choose a better lane. And that's the other thing. They're, they have the resources more than a lot of other media outlets out there. They have the resources. And it doesn't have to be boring sort of, you know, eat your peas, PBS, NPR kind of stuff. They have the resources to make some really interesting content. You know, they, 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 they have worldwide bureaus that other n- networks would would envy like the fact that mm-hmm. CNN can like flip over to Ukraine right now and give you a live feed as you know uh, Russia is bombing the hell out of that country other news outlets can't do that and instead of doing that they're having town halls with Donald Trump like you know <laughs> what's wrong with you yeah. <laughs> it's just a failure I think Chris Beck's miscalculation with having this town hall was that Donald Trump equals ratings. Yeah. That was his fatal flaw in all of this. It's like, I go back to, as we were discussing earlier, blogosphere 1.0. It'd be like writing a blog in say 2007, just about how Bush is stupid. <laughs> like 2007, that no longer got any traffic. It was like, oh, yes, we're well past that now, Bob. You don't need to say Bush <laughs> is stupid. That was, a, that was 2002, 2003. Right. We get that Bush is stupid. It's like this. And now I think CNN was making the same mistake. Like, oh, Donald Trump is rating. So let's right. bring him on and do this. right now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We're well, past that. He's well, not well, a ratings. Uh, he's not a ratings machine anymore. This is what I don't get about the, the CNN. Obviously, they've got a lot of money, right? And they have some, you know, ostensibly smart people working there. I don't understand what, like Fox. Fox does do a very good job. They have their, They really do have their finger on the pulse of their voters, right? Yeah. They they know how to feed their voters the red meat. Why can't CNN? What's wrong with them? Like, do you know what I mean? They don't seem to have any idea about what's going on with, you know, their own, you know, political sorts, you know, the the Democratic Party and Democratic voters. Like, it's completely tone deaf. Yeah, I think part of it is, like, part of it is corporate, right? They have a lot more corporate meddling than the other two networks do, to be perfectly frank. Like, they and they've had a lot of, you know, leadership changes. Like, they went from being part of, warner brothers to being part of discovery now and like they kind of don't know where they fit in the world and then the leaders that they've had which you know coming from first zucker and now lick are it's not even that they're partisan guys but they they like you know zucker came from the today show and lick comes from colbert and so i i think they just don't have the edge that you know fox has had in their dna like i you know i talked about this a lot where he was in, basically, to me, an evil Nazi, but, like, Roger Ailes understood television. He understood his audience, and he knew how to feed them. Like, you know, I, I always talk about him as, like, studying a German general to figure out, like, how to defeat the German war machine. Like, I have studied Roger Ailes because hmm. Roger Ailes knew what he was doing, 
And like, you know, he it's like he had the force powers from Star Wars, but he used it to like go full dark side. And oh, yeah. so, you know, whereas like CNN and to a lesser extent MSNBC, but especially CNN, they like you said, they don't know who their audience is. Like, I feel like this is always one of the fundamental things of especially running cable news is like, who are we talking to? Like, who who is the person that we're sitting there and tailoring our content to? And Roger Ailes always used to say it was this disinterested person flipping through the channels that may have been open to a conservative argument that didn't really care about politics. And part of the way they would attract that person is by, and I mean, to be perfectly blunt, by putting pretty women on spouting Republican talking points. Like, he understood, like, he even, he even he had a thing one time where he said, oh, I want it when someone's flipping through the channels, they see a beautiful body on our channel, and they're going to stop flipping through the channel. And then they'll turn the audio on, and then we'll hook them in with right-wing nonsense, right? Like, that, he understood how to do television. And I've always said, like, progressives should, you know, p- people hate when I say this kind of thing, but you can learn from that. Not, not to be a sexist a-hole. But to attract people with eyeballs and lure them in and then give them a convincing progressive argument. And, oh, it kind of helps that, like, our ideas are actually the more popular ideas. And you have, you know, some progressives out there doing that kind of thing right now. You have, you know, uh, 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 AOC, of course, is the the lead person doing that. But you you have a lot of others. You know, Maxwell Frost here in Florida has been that kind of person where it's like you can engage and excite people. Because you understand what they believe in, and then you can reel them in. But CNN, CNN just has like a bunch of corporate stooges that have been running the network for the last fifteen years, and they don't know who they're talking to, and it shows up in their end product. Like the fact that you know, if they look at their numbers, they probably would see that they their viewers are more democratically inclined. And I'm not saying you have to completely pander to your audience, but it's sort of a 180 to give Donald Trump free airtime if this is your core audience and you want to get good ratings. <laughs> Why hasn't the left been able to borrow some of those strategies from Roger Ailes and apply that to uh, a more liberal doctrine or a more liberal uh, cable news network? Or quite honestly, I mean, Air America's failure aside, uh, why hasn't that been able to prosper on platforms like AM talk radio? Uh, it seems like uh, we just have fallen at some point so far behind when it comes to that, in spite of the liberal media bias myth. Yeah. You set that aside and the left really hasn't been able to put as much of a stamp on these two platforms as the right has somehow. It's, it's an incredible and frustrating thing to observe. Yeah, I think one of the problems, and I run into this a lot, is people look at, you know, Fox News and right wing talk radio and Rush Limbaugh, who I'll remind you is dead. Yeah. <laughs> they look at. It was Roger Ailes. Yeah. <laughs> and so it was Roger Ailes, exactly. Yeah. But they look at these things, and because it's been associated with such odious, terrible things in the past, people are not able to separate the content from the technique. Mm-hmm. And so. When you look at the things that have worked for the right, and, you know, this has been, you know, both of you know, this is the basis for a lot of the things that I've written about. It's like you you can separate the technique from the content. Just the fact the fact that, like, Fox News uses, like, flashy graphics and attention-grabbing headlines and, you know, and storylines to sell misogyny and xenophobia doesn't mean you can't use these exact same techniques to sell racial harmony and equality and 
progressive economics and, you know, things that the Biden administration has done. And, and But I think there's this distaste, this, this innate distaste a lot of times with liberals saying, we can't do that. The bad guys do that. We can't mm-hmm. do those things. That's what the bad guys do. So instead, we have to be we have to be the complete opposite of that and be dry and boring and lament the fact that like people aren't being, you know, I, I see this all the time. Like, well, you know, if you read such and such a book, you would understand this. And I'm like, do you understand that most Americans are not going to sit there? And I mean, you know, I write stories and books and things like that, but people are not going to sit there and study and read these, you know, they're not going to go and read Elizabeth Warren's books about, you know, economic equality. Like they should, like, God bless them. They should be doing that, but they're not going to. So if it's you want to, yeah. So if you want to sell people on these things, what's wrong with a 13 second flashy TikTok video selling the same storyline? You know, I'm always like, don't be afraid of these platforms just because the bad guys have used them for evil. If, if, if some progressive person, you know, there's, there's someone I use an example of the time uh, she works at media matters. Now cat Abu is on, is on, that's on Twitter. And yeah. she produces these like phenomenal TikTok videos talking about right wing media, talking about Fox news and dissecting it. And they're super quick and they get to the point and they piss off the right, which, you know, going back to what we said earlier, they piss off the right that she's doing this. They get hundreds of thousands of views She's working from the playbook and spinning it her own way and sticking to the facts. Why wouldn't you do more of it? It works. It's good. Like she's doing good in this world. It's like, <laughs> these are not yeah. bad things. So still, I, I'm like, these guys have worked for years and years in the media. They show us what works. We know what works. Steal it. Just steal it and use it for good. You know? <laughs> yeah. Conversely, there's, uh, and I'm not going to name names here, but there is a, a, a streaming channel that has, uh, you know, obviously it's all liberal politics. And, oh, my God, just any random commercial break, you want to slit your wrists and leap out of the window. <laughs> it's so sad and down and everything is, oh, and mm, it's just like, oh, God, can we just get something that's, attention grabbing and pulse pounding and exciting to to listen to rather than something that just makes you want to put a gun in your mouth it's just it's it's so depressing and we have tailor-made villains that's the other part of it like you know one of one of the things i you know from all my years i worked at media matters for 13 years one of the things i learned from watching you know so much fox news and you know it's damaged my brain is that you need villains to do this sort of thing well oh my god like we, we are overflowing with villains to mm-hmm. point out, you know, Donald Trump, George W. Bush, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Boebert, you know, Tucker Carlson, Sean Hannity. Like there, there are no la- and, and we've got the, 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 the heroes to put up against these people from varying all the way from, you know, President Biden to AOC to to, you know, literally any progressive working in the states. You have a lot of these progressive state legislators lately. That have been pushing against, you know, for against uh, anti-trans stuff and against gun violence, and these people are great heroes to like cheer on. And they're going up. Like, I'm, I'm sorry, but if you can take a, you know, a strong young black state legislator, and on the other side you have this old decrepit a-holes at the NRA, that mm-hmm. is a perfect heroes and villains contrast for mm-hmm. any, you know, sort of progressive media organization. If you want to contrast these two, and that's what attracts eyeballs is, is conflict. 
and and the storyline works great. People love a good story. So, you know, it, it, it doesn't have to be boring. That's that's like my number one thing in the world, honestly, right now for progressives is like, we don't got to be the boring guys. We, we don't need to. We're, we have all the creative people on our side. That's the other part yeah. of it, you know, as you know. Like, the, the creative guys are on our side. Like, you looked at, I remember looking at the conventions from 2020 and the videos that they put together for Biden. Those were way more interesting than the ones at the Republican convention. Why? Because all the Hollywood, you know, men and women are working with Democrats because they're progressives, because conservatives, like, you know, their star power is, washed up soap stars <laughs> yeah. right there, okay i was gonna say is there oliver uh, a net positive or a net negative effect to the fact that uh political punditry has become a big business at this point it, it didn't always it wasn't always that way i remember again going back to blogosphere 1.0 i remember us talking about advertising revenue just being beer money it was the very little money flying around at that point in time and go back even further i remember working on the high school newspaper in the late 1980s and talking about how apathetic everyone was about politics so especially young people and how there was no excitement around it and and at that point in time rush limbaugh was still in kind of his radio infancy and there was morton downey jr on television and uh, b- but punditry really wasn't um, a lucrative wing of the entertainment industry, so to speak, as it is now. And I wonder if there's a net positive effect to that or a net negative effect to that. On my darkest days, I think there's a significant net negative effect insofar as it's where conflict is now profitable. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder what that does to democracy and the stability of the republic, like how. What's the effect of this kind of industry that's built up around commenting on politics? Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're perfectly right, Bob. And that, like, I think it's a net negative for society. Yeah. Like, it's not good that, like, political pundits have become, you know, the sort of the power brokers of American politics. Like, mm-hmm. it was, it, it seems strange to say, but it was almost better when it was the party boss in the smoke-filled back room rather than, you know, Tucker Carlson basically controlling who was elected Speaker of the House, right? Like, that that's, I think that's the dichotomy here with this, is that, but on the flip side, it's one of those things, and this goes back to, you know, the liberal mindset, like, we, it, we're not going to roll it back, like, we have to deal with the world as it Mm -hmm. is now. So, Yes, like I, I think we're in a much worse place now than we were before. Like things, thing, the way that this operated before was better and more sane. And but you have to look at it like, well, what can this culture produce when it's firing the right way? And you know, to go back to him again, but you have to go back to Obama. Like if 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 you want to look at the worst case scenario, which is electing Trump, you can. You have to also look at the best case scenario, and you could argue that the the aura of celebrity and politics is was definitely a key art, you know, key part of Barack Obama becoming president of the United States. And, you know, I think we would probably all three of us agree that that was a net positive for the United oh, yeah. States. Yep. So it, it's one of these things where it's like, yes, the world we have now is sort of this dystopian bad version of how events could, you know, operate, mm-hmm. but what can we do <laughs> in the dystopia to, yeah still work for the, the betterment of all. And so you kind of have to look at like the Obama model and say like, okay, people want bread and circuses. Great. 
Now, how can we make sure that the bread and circuses are not going to give us a heart attack and instead just give us like a sort of, you know, <laughs> healthier appetite? Like what kind of good bread? What kind of, you know, if we're going to have a circus, maybe we don't have like, you know, as much butter on the popcorn, still butter on the popcorn, but not you know, so much that yeah, you can yeah. have immediate heart attack. <laughs> so let's let's get some Obama butter on the popcorn instead of Trump butter on the popcorn. <laughs> to stretch a metaphor. Yeah. Oliver, who do you see? Who do you see uh, as being kind of big stars in the Democratic Party? I'm interested to, to hear your opinion on this. Who, 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 I mean, it, it, the, the future, like you know, where this, like obviously, you know, I'm backing Biden 100 uh, in the upcoming election because I think that is the best chance Democrats have. But looking past that. Yeah, Who I mean, are the big stars? Yeah, to, I, I mean, it's, it's sort of, it's this thing where, you know, I, I always go, I always say it's, it's for me, a lot of it is someone like AOC, you know, someone that I, I feel like AOC is kind of almost, you know, yes, she, you know, I'm not saying none of these people are perfect. None of them will ever be perfect. Throw that out of your mind. But someone to me like AOC combines a lot of the best qualities of Bernie Sanders and things that I personally didn't like about Sanders, but I like the the fundamental policy of a lot of things that Sanders stands for. But AOC is the kind of person that understands that you can't just have those policies in a silo and yell at people about, you know, economic progressive ideas. You have to also sell it, right? And you have to sell it and you have to also include things about, you know, race and gender. And someone like that understands right here in Florida, uh, Max Frost, who was just, you know, elected to Congress in this most recent session, I actually ran into him the first time when he was running for office. I ran into him at a Starbucks and I saw him and he, he introduced himself to me. And like, my first thought was, who is this very nice young man? Like, he looks like just a skinny little teenager. And now he's in Congress and he is kicking ass up there because he understands and he doesn't have this sort of hangover, I think, from the Democratic Party of the late 90s, early 2000s of being afraid of Republicans. Like he yeah. goes up there and he just talks smack about, you know, he's he's been a big advocate against gun violence. And he just like lays it on the table of like, they're killing my generation. I mean, the fact that he's in Gen Z, right? He's like, they are killing my fellow students in schools right now and we got to stop this. So someone like him, we have a state legislator here. Uh, she actually represents my district, Anna Eskamani. And she's sort of the same thing. You're like, I've been encouraging her through Twitter. I'm like, Please, especially in Florida, run for, you know, she's in this, she's in the Florida House right now. But I'm like, please, God, run for senator, run for Congress, run for governor, something. We need someone like you because she has this sort of combative mindset of like, we just have to, you know, rhetorically punch these guys in the nose. And I, every time I see a Democratic legislator that has this, and, it's, and a lot of the time it is the state legislators, it's not. You know, and some of them have made it to Congress, thankfully, in the most recent cycle. You know, John Fetterman is somebody like that as well, who just doesn't take the crap from, from the, you know, that the party, unfortunately, like the party, you know, graybeards have in the past of this sort of conciliatory approach. Like, if the Republicans are going to go full on crazy, like Democrats don't need to go crazy. They just need to get smart tactically. Like mm -hmm. the, the policies that these people support are not crazy left-wing, you know, completely unworkable. They're very popular things like uh, save Social Security, don't shoot small children in the head. You know what I mean? Like these are not crazy policies. So it, it, that, that's kind of my view for the future of 
where this is all going. But yeah. Yeah, there's part of me who thinks that uh, the loudness of the Republicans right now with Trump and everything like that, I mean, that could very well be uh, not something that is the portend of a huge power grab, but it could actually be the death rattle of the Republican Party. I mean, there's a very strong likely. I wouldn't say, I don't know what how you'd break down the percentage, but there's a strong chance that what we're witnessing right now could be the permanent... Um, the, the, the evolution of the Republican Party or the de-evolution of the Republican Party back to becoming like a permanent opposition party, which which they were for much of the uh, 20th century. That could actually be happening right now. Uh, it's just it's very difficult to see that when we're jumping from news cycle to news cycle to news cycle. It's, it's almost impossible to see it from 30,000 feet. Yeah, that that that's that is a very good point. I mean, listen, guys, I I want to just jump into the to to uh, the the members only podcast now, the the emergency meeting as we call it. And and Oliver, I want to get your thoughts on the twenty twenty four election. I think that's what uh, what we should talk about there. Yeah. Uh, how, how you see this playing out? Um, but look, l- listen before before we end this part of the podcast, can you have a Substack, right? I feel like we're kind of going back to the the old days of the blogosphere almost with yeah. Substack, and like we're meeting all over again, Oliver, right. with it, in in a <laughs> in a new world where we're we're both sort of um, you know the banter, and and you've got your own. Uh, it's a blog, basically, right? It, it's yeah. kind of old school. Yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's how Oliver explains, and yeah, like basically my approach to it is to just like just like my old blog, like you know I, I don't write as many posts, like I try to try, you know I try to do like one cogent idea and just sort of wrangle, you know, like sometimes if you follow me on Twitter, you probably see me like just thinking out loud in public, and then like I'll be like, okay, I'll, I'll just write this up as the blog post because it seems to, mm-hmm. and, and one and one of the one of the ways I've used it actually is. There, there are a few, like, there's probably 20 arguments that I'm constantly making on Twitter. And so I was like, well, instead of pointing people back to a thread where I have to, like, go, you know, say, well, if you look at my thread from 2019, I really go through this. I'm like, oh, I'll just make it a blog post so I can just constantly link back to it. So that's kind of what I've been doing with my with my, my sub stack. I, I just, I, it's, it's just a list of Oliver's favorite argument. <laughs> God, that's exactly what I do, Oliver. It's amazing. And so, like, yeah. So every time I want to point, I'm like, oh, oh, you want to hear about how like CNN, you know, has has gone bad? Oh, well, here's the blog post I did on that. Or people ask me all the time, like, you know, what should we do about Fox News? And I'm like, oh, well, instead of repeating myself, maybe I'll just write a blog post. Like, you know, I wrote a blog post called "How to Beat Fox News," and so <laughs> that's kind of my kind of been my approach with it. I Absolutely. highly recommend every, everybody follow you on that. It's great. Like I've been following and it brings me back to the old days that that's when I used to read your, your blog basically. So I recommend everybody um, go and do that. I'll put a link in our, our, um, our notes as well. The article that, that goes out with the podcast will have a big fat juicy link to <laughs> uh, Oliver Substack. So please follow that. It's great. There's all sorts of interesting tools on Substack where you can like repost other it's like the blogosphere what i wish the blogosphere was back in the day there are all these like yeah it would have been great if we had all these tools back then we oh my god we just kind of had to roll a lot of this stuff on our own like i mean i can tell you i can i can go on for years and years explaining to you like all the crazy tools that i used on my blog and the different blog engines and things that would crash on me and i would lose (laughs) posts and i had to recreate things and oh my god like it was 
it was literally like, you know, it was like being in the stone ages with, you know, a chisel, no light. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, you, and then the, the part of the, one of the greatest things I would say, and I mean, I'm not saying it's perfect, but one of the greatest things for me at least is to have sort of immediate feedback on things. Like I'm, I'm sure as both of you can attest to like back in the old days, you make a blog post and God knows who was reading it. Right. Like you just, you just <laughs> oh, throw it yeah. out there and you're like, I don't know. Like, you know, and, and and granted, yes, I mean that was sort of the good part of it because you know the people that were in it early, like myself, I think, were like, oh, we're just doing it for the love of the game. Like we're just mm-hmm. we're just putting something out there. If somebody doesn't read it, oh well. It's just like you know, for me, it was you know, so I can like I said earlier, it was so I wouldn't be an a hole in normal life to people. <laughs> you know, I, like I wasn't. You know, when I when I, at the time my mother was living in Jamaica, and I didn't want to be our calls. My calls to Jamaica being like ten minutes of browsing about George W. Bush. <laughs> so instead, I'm like, oh, I'll just blog about how much I hate Bush, and then when I talk to my mom, I can talk about my doggy. <laughs> <laughs> That was kind of my approach. And that's what I do now. Like, you know, I got my little dog, Kal-El, here. And I'm like, well, he doesn't want to hear me, you know, kvetching about, you know, Donald Trump. So I'll I'll tweet about it. I'll blog about it. And that gets it out of my system. And the people that know me in real life, they're like, oh, he's a pleasant fellow. He's not constantly grousing about these things. And I'm like, yeah, that's why that's what I get. That's what the Internet is for, for me. well listen oliver we'd love to hear hear your take on the 2024 election how is this going to go down what is your obviously you've been following biden uh what the major issues are um that he's what the the big challenges he's going to have uh you have a lot more inside information on that but first of all i'm gonna cover your ears oliver uh we have a warning uh bell for the emergency meeting i say bell it's more of a uh i don't know if you're gonna hear oh god I just shit my pants again. Yeah, that was, that was less of a bell and more like a, a, a nuclear strike alarm. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'm, like, I'm, looking, I'm looking for a bomb shelter. Where's, where's the mushroom cloud? <laughs> <laughs> 